0: everyone. I'm your host, Braden Bell, and I welcome you to today's episode of the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. I have a little bit of a cold today, uh, but this is just the intro. I had a, a normal voice during the interview, so it, it won't be annoying. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, but before we start, I wanted to take a moment and ask you to please take a few minutes and go ahead and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform you use to access podcasts. It is a huge help in getting the word out and helping the audience grow. Now, I mentioned being excited about today's guest, and I really am, and I think you will be too. What if you have the innate ability to raise your child? What if your main goal as a family was simply to be a place where everyone feels peace and joy? And what if you had some simple techniques to get there? What if your parenting mistakes don't really matter? In fact, what if they could even become pluses and strengths for your family? What if you realize you've maybe been a bit of a helicopter or lawnmower parent? And let's face it, most of us are at some point in our parenting lives in this day and age. What if you realize that and you realize you need to change, but you're not quite sure how to do it? Are you ever consumed with guilt for your parenting mistakes? Again, what if that didn't really matter? What if you had a clear, simple way to sift through all the parenting advice out there and find only what was useful for you in your situation? Well, my guest today has wonderful answers to these questions, and I think you'll be really motivated and um, empowered by what you hear today. So without further ado, here is this episode of the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. Mina Brandis is a former psychiatrist trained at Johns Hopkins and Harvard Universities. She was one of the first people I know who did a podcast years ago when it was still new. Her podcast was called Closer and featured her talking with an acquaintance or a complete stranger. Using her natural curiosity, empathy, and professional training in close and deep listening, she would facilitate a conversation. And inevitably, over the course of the episode, two people who didn't know each other well at all found they had a lot in common. Mina describes herself as a former psychiatrist turned mom who is now starting a business as an executive family coach. And after you hear the podcast today and hear Mina's approach, I suspect many of you will want to contact her. So I will include her website in the show notes. Now, this is an appropriate endeavor for Mina because I saw her raise and interact with her kids over many years and was struck with how thoughtful and intentional she was, both as a mom but also in other dimensions of her life. She is a warm and thoughtful person and is skilled at simply being present for people in the moment, whatever and whenever that is. Mina is one of those people who watches and thinks deeply, who observes and perceives more than she might always say, but when she does say something, you want to listen carefully because there's a great deal of thoughtful discernment and intelligence behind the comment. One of the things I personally think about a great deal as a parent, and something I've tried to discuss in my writing in this podcast, is the idea of parenting and expertise. How do we get it? Does anyone really have it? How do we sift through an increasing amount of information and voices telling us what and how to parent? How do we try to learn and grow without being paralyzed by information overload? How do we reconcile our flawed parenting or obvious mistakes with things we know? When we're parenting, what are the uses as well as the limitations of professional expertise, whether that's our own or someone else's? Given Mina's professional background and her current focus, I thought she was the perfect person to discuss some of these questions and after you hear the podcast, I think you'll agree with me. Mina, welcome to the Parent Teacher Conference podcast.
1: Thank you so much. Actually, that intro makes me look, sound better than how I see myself in my head. So I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> well, I, I am not the former psychiatrist, so I can't comment on <laughs> disparities, but I, it's very true from my perspective, at least. So
1: yeah, I glad to have you. It. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, it's been a little
0: while since we've talked, uh, but you have a new venture you're working on. Can I do.
1: I do. It's an executive family coaching org, and I started that because there are a lot of people who are professionally successful, you know, be it executives or partner professionals, attorneys, physicians, premier talent, all these people. Um, I think by the nature of their professional life, you know, something has to give, and sometimes it's their family life that gives, their marriage or their parenting life that gives. So with those unique challenges, I wanted to help them have a family life that is as successful, so to speak, if not more successful than their professional life and help them and their families have a family, become that family they've always wanted. And yeah, so I started uh, that service. That's fantastic. Listeners, I will put
0: the link to Mina's website. It's still new, but we can, I will have it up in the show notes, but I believe it is familyatthetop.com. Yes. And again, I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, That's really wonderful. I love that you're doing that. And you actually have a really uniquely, you have a background that uniquely suits you to this. Like This sounds like the perfect. Thing for you and your skills and experience.
1: Yeah, so having been a psychiatrist and earned understanding like interpersonal issues, human behavior, all of that experience. And then having been a mom to three kids um, and having talked to a lot of teachers and a lot of their experience, I wanted to help. I wanted to help other families.
0: Yeah. So that, that actually leads me to a, I'm I'm interested to hear your thought about this. I'm trying to think of a way to formulate this as a question. Um, do you feel like, I mean, clearly you do. So it, it, it sounds like you see this having a successful family as something you can learn. You can practice it. You can get better at it. It's not just innate.
1: Yes. I think being a good human being is something you practice. So, being a good family, which is an extension of that, I absolutely believe it's something you work on, something you learn, you fail at, you try again. And I think that entire process is actually healing. Um, and I think you know, talking about being parents, I think one of the most powerful thing that you can show your kids you can tell them, but at some point they might not listen to what you say, particularly teenagers. Um, They watch what you do, but they really have a sense of who you are. So I think when, when you realize you failed at something and then you can show yourself grace and try again and get back up and you can heal from that, I think that's that's such a powerful thing to teenagers. And I think trying to, just like you have a business, you're going to fail at some point. You're going to fail a small thing or a big thing, and you have to get your team together, get back on track. You know, you may not be able to make partner at something at first. You try again. And I think it's so important to becoming a good family. It's not it's not a judgmental thing, but becoming a family that is... is is peaceful, and has freedom, and there's joy and meaning in that family. So what's so important is that you can mess up, and then you can heal as a family together. And that's the process that makes you have a family that is peaceful and joyful.
0: I love those words. First of all, I love defining a successful family uh, as being peaceful and joyful. I think we often put other um, descriptions or modifiers or expectations on that our successful family is, is whatever we both have great jobs or our kids all get into top tier schools or, or any number of things that are not reasonable yeah. realistic and frankly it may not bring joy or peace so no. it seems like when you name it as joy and peace uh, first of all that sets up a whole different dynamic because the goal becomes much more doable And I love the fact that a successful family isn't the absence of problems or failures. That's really powerful and liberating right there.
1: Yeah, so I think, and I read this somewhere that, and I think this is something that I've thought about that somebody articulated for me is that a, a happy family isn't a family without problems because all families have problems. And happy family is a family that can encounter problems small or big and tackle it together and come out of it intact and stronger than before. That's a really tall order. Um, It's so easy to blame. It's so easy to blame each other, blame others, um, particularly you know, having been a psychiatrist, if some, whether physical or mental, if somebody in that family is having issues, psychiatric diagnosis, mental health issues, or physical issues, or anything, then it's so easy to blame them. Or I think family can sometimes become a harbinger of secrets, or it can be something you need to tolerate. Um, and I think it's it's so important that people have don't have oh or this this is another big thing, pretend something that you need to make it look beautiful on the outside like you don't have any issues we have it all together, right. um, and kids when they're growing up they they see all of this they watch all of this and then it becomes like well I don't you know I, I'm on TikTok and. I had this little post about you know, when, when you have a child that t- becomes quiet. So let's say a, a kid that used to argue against you, but at some point becomes quiet when you reprimand them or, or berate them or you're angry at them. That's, and then the parent is like, now the kid is more respectful. Now I have the respect. You don't. That's a kid who's given up on a relationship with you. And then that was seen by like 10 million. It had 10 million views. Wow! And I had so many comments saying, yep, as soon as I turn 18, I'm leaving. I'm leaving and I, I'm never looking back. I'm never gonna talk to my parents again. So when it, it may seem like they they're respecting you, they're listening to you because they're quiet. That actually is a very bad sign. Um, a kid that wants to have a relationship with you will try to argue with you because they want to be heard. They want because they respect your opinion. They talk to you. They argue with you. I mean, it should be done respectfully, right. but a kid that's given up and saying, "As soon as I got to college, I don't have to deal with this. I'm running, a- not run away, but I'm, I'm, I'm moving out of here. Yeah. I just have to tolerate this." That's the kid that will stop talking and just block out what you're saying. They may look like they're listening, but they're not. And I think, um, yeah, it's so important for us families to not see conflict as a problem, but it's, it's, it's how you deal with that conflict. How do you respectfully listen and validate each other, which are all just cliche words, he says, but they're just really critical. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's how you handle these problems, big and small.
0: So instead of spending energy on trying to get your child to stop arguing with you, perhaps the better approach is to try to figure out some ground rules and set up some, yeah. some, uh, Parameters or, or norms of how to do this in a more effective way, exactly respectful and such. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think the real another thing is that when a kid is arguing with you, they're arguing because they think that you care about what they say. That somehow, if they argue enough, that they'll get their message through. They're still hanging on to this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it it matters, and that's why they're arguing. and know, that's a good sign. A kid that is sort of in a way willing to fight to to, um, get the communication going. Um, So that's actually a really good sign. And I think there's a technique that I use in my family is silence does not mean I'm agreeing with you. So we have this thing, we start off, we say, okay, we're just going to sit down and we're going to take turns and you're going to say what you want to say. And I can use that with my family or just my husband or one kid. And I start off saying, you say what you say. I'm going to say what I say. And I'm not going to say anything to you. I'm just going to listen to you because I respect you. I love you so even if i disagree even if you say something that i think is factually wrong or even if i feel like i need to defend myself no matter what i'm not gonna say anything because i respect you as a human being i'm gonna listen and then because when someone says something to you it's so upsetting and you know you read books that say you need to validate oh, your feelings are valid, but sometimes you're so upset in a defensive mood, you can't even say that. I think the simplest thing is to literally bite your tongue, like you close your mouth and bite your tongue inside. And then you, you know, let's say there's four in your family, they all say their part and you don't respond. And you only listen because you respect them as a human being and you wanna hear them out. And it's really magical what happens when each kid or your husband or your wife your spouse listen feels like you they've been heard it's really magical what happens next they're more open to listening to you and your response and it's also really magical what happens to you cuz when someone says something your spouse says something and you you just you know, you you feel this like emotional boiling. Like, Ooh, that's not true. That's not fair. He's, you know, but you just you you make that pretense, which is I'm listening, even if I don't agree. I may not agree, but I'm just going to listen to you. So you feel like you've you've let them know where you are. So you you feel this. You feel like you need to defend yourself. You need to, you you need to set them straight or whatever it is you you it's boiling inside of you but you can bite your tongue and stay silent and then and then it's really amazing what happens next um yeah so we try that and we sometimes don't even have a further interaction in that session we just say okay good and then we move on and live our lives and then at some point come back when you feel like there's less emotion immediate emotion in it that you come back and address what the other person said, or, you know, that's a whole another story.
0: I love that. Um, You're triggering a parallel in my mind. When I first started teaching, um, you know, classroom management is a challenge yeah. For anyone um who's yeah. honest as a teacher, yeah. but just it's an ongoing thing you always work on. But when you're starting out, especially it's a real big challenge. Yeah. And I had big classes, they were choir classes, so they weren't sitting in, you know, it wasn't a small group of kids in neat little desks. Um, and I found, you know, I'd kind of watch other teachers and kind of try to model myself after different teachers. And what I found was I could I could do one of two things. I could enforce silence,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or I could get them to participate in class. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't do both of them. I could I could mandate and impose that mm-hmm. they sit silently and listen. But then when I wanted them to sing, and especially to sing loudly, I couldn't get it out of them. Um, mm-hmm. and so I've Gosh. I've just learned over the years that often the quickest fix, or the one that has the most visible external um, success is mm-hmm. is not usually the most effective one in, in what your long-term goal is. So that's the yeah. parallel I'm hearing with kind of the daily work of a teacher to the daily work of a parent. We we don't want them to just be compliant. Um, yeah. that's, that's not our goal, even though that's helpful exactly. and necessary sometimes.
1: So. Yeah, yeah. So when you're a teacher and you have a room full of kids all at different stages of the day, different moods, what does it take as a teacher to like tackle that and manage that? Um,
0: I I don't know. I want to joke and say something like uh, super being able to detach from reality, but that's not really it. Um, Mm and that's a really interesting question it's one I thought a lot about over the years I think I think everyone who is able to be a teacher for Mm -hmm. for a while for like the long term um has it a little does things a little differently Mm -hmm. um again kind of when I first started there was a teacher I respected she was so wonderful but she never had any Kids just never made a peep in her classroom. And it wasn't like she was mean or Mm -hmm. yelling or something. Something about her just commanded respect. Mm -hmm. She was Mm -hmm. sort of like Professor McGonagall from uh, Harry Potter. You just wouldn't have messed with her. And I remember trying to model myself on her, Mm -hmm. but I didn't do it well because it was an imitation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so those were years I really didn't do a very good job teaching. Um, Nothing worked very well for me. And I finally, I don't remember how, you know, again, this takes a while, but I finally figured out sort of what my superpower is or what my strength is as a teacher. And once I leaned into that, and I was no longer trying to imitate someone else, Mm -hmm. that was when everything changed for me. And I really started to, it was easier than it was hard. And it was more joyful than not. I mean, obviously there were ups and downs along the way and Mm -hmm. there's hard days for everyone. So some i'm not sure what the um i don't know what the vital or universal ingredient is and i i sort of suspect there may not be one um although if you if i had to guess i would imagine that no matter what personal disposition you have at some level you just truly care either about the kids or Mm -hmm. you have a deep commitment to a specific subject and how it can change people's lives or just to the the fact that education is powerful. I My guess is that it would be one of those or, or a combination of those three things. Um,
1: so what I hear is, which I kind of, it was kind of a half, half. I was genuinely curious because you gave this example of many kids in a room like, oh my gosh, what would I do? But then also something I've been thinking out a lot is from what you just described to me about this teachers that you admired, you, you said nothing about what she said this, or she, you know, it's really how she was like this aura or mm-hmm. um, the sense of who she was as a person that these kids noticed that someone that garnered authority, but also kindness. And like in no point in your description, you said she uses technique. She said these things to the kids. It was really who she was. And like you said, I tried to imitate her. It didn't work. And I, I I'm, I'm going to guess that when you figure it out, okay, so this is who I need to be to, to, to have that effect on the children and the students is when it started working. So I was thinking that a lot too, like, what do you, and all the information that's out there is like, do this, say this to your kids. But I actually think the reason parenting is so hard is that it's not something you can do by saying the right thing, but sometimes not even doing the right thing because it's 24 seven, your kids are with you day in and day out. Um, and they're sometimes with you at your most tired self, angry, vulnerable, scared times, and you have to be that person that is able to give, you know, the cliche, but true, the unconditional love to your child. And to do that, it's not the information, it's not books, you have to be that person. And that's really, really hard. But thankfully you can be that person with work and struggle and living life and making mistakes. And, um, yeah, so I, I think, um, I think it's so easy to get into that, maybe a little bit of a trap to reading the right book, reading the right article, the top five reasons why top things, 10 things you can do, but. Um I think the really most important thing is you you need to be that person who is able to love somebody unconditionally and again part of that is that you don't have to be perfect you, part of the unconditional love is that you forget uh, you forgive and you forget and you give grace um but I think that's that's what that's what's so hard about parenting and I think in the end, that's what's effective, like the, the teacher that you just mentioned, because you know, younger kids would do what you tell them, but teenage kids may not even listen to what you say. They may not even care what you do, but they do sense who you are and what kind of relationship you have in their presence. And I think some teens actually, it's sort of like, well, prove that you do really love me, mm-hmm. prove that I can be loved no matter what, prove that. And I think they press your buttons to see how far they can go, because they kind of want to, before they go into the world, they want to know, okay, like, I, I need to know I have a home base here that people will back me, because it's kind of scary to go out there on my own. And I think they innately know all of that and it's like okay if i mess up can you can i can you love me can you love this can you love if i do this and that's that's the challenge um and they 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 will test your forgiveness they they will test your ability to be compassionate they will test your ability to be patient and i i think that's that being able to do that is what's going to make that that family and that relationship, that parenting experience, are uh, worthwhile. Instead of, I mean, you can't not take some hints. Um, there are there are things that you notice about um, parenting that you can hear from someone you can implement. So they're not of no use. But I think the real core thing um, is. Who you are as a parent, that you can be that person for yourself and your children.
0: I really love that. You you actually validated a theory I've had for a while now. I I noticed years ago at school, we'd have bring really great speakers. Like sometimes they were like national experts, and other times they were someone local, but who had really important expertise and some, you know, something of concern to parents. And I noticed that the people who turned out for these were always the same and in every case there were people who their kids were pretty good like they were already it, it seemed and from the outside of course but mm-hmm. that they were already parenting at a pretty high level in terms of the way their relationships seemed to be the way the kids functioned um so really good parents and good kids and at first i thought my hypothesis was oh it's because they listened to all of this stuff. But the more I thought about it, what I've come to realize is I think they were good parents because they were engaged and they cared. And mm-hmm. going to these workshops or probably reading was a symptom of their engagement. Yeah. And so it was part of the, you know, they were not effective parents because they read the right books. They were effective parents because they were deeply engaged and focused on mm-hmm trying to learn and grow as parents and in the process if that's your focus you almost can't help but become better and more effective um so that was who they are and again like you said it wasn't just that they memorized a list of tips or tricks although i think there's like you said again there's a lot of techniques and things like that 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 you can learn from other people that are helpful i, I really does yeah. that comport with what you've you've seen
1: yeah so i think if you know, I think it's helpful to realize what's the big picture, what's important when you feel paralyzed by so much of this and that, because some of this information is contradictory. And I actually believe that parents, with rare exceptions, and I think parents have the innate ability to be able to parent their kids and have that strength and, and insight and i think it's just a matter of i I think what's the helpful information is if you read that thing and makes you bring out something in you that's that gives you more confidence more Mm -hmm. hope more grace for yourself more forgiveness for yourself as a parent if there's information out there that you listen to and you think oh gosh why did i do that i keep doing that i'm so i'm so bad like i'm then that's probably not the right information Love that. um yeah so it needs to make you feel um more like oh i can be i can make mistakes and i can still do this that's the kind of information you should listen to because ultimately that's the information you want to give your kids yeah that yeah i love that yeah
0: i love that so uh, let me shift slightly based on something you just said. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Um, you mentioned, and I believe and agree with this, by the way, that we we just innately have what what it's going to take to raise yeah. our children not not perfectly, not without some scars and bruises, but to raise them. Um, I think I like your your idea of of to, you know peaceful and joyfully that we can live as a family, and then I think the goal for most of us is to raise children who can live independently yeah. and be self-actualized in the world. Um, yeah. So with that in mind, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot over the years written about over-parenting, how easy it is mm-hmm. to just fall into this kind of, and there's been different vehicles, snowplows, lawnmowers, <laughs> helicopters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I've sometimes talked about what I perceive as Alexa parenting, where people will sort of email or call the school and say, Hey, please do this. Or um, have you guys ever, can't you focus more on this or that? And it's sort of like kind of, you know, farming things out sort of to experts and just telling them what you want (laughs) have done. Mm -hmm. But, um, and there, I've actually shared some interesting pieces just the last two weeks in my newsletter about people who are now theorizing that, rising anxiety in -hmm. kids may be tied to the fact that they just have less freedom that there's more structure parental interventions Mm -hmm. they're not working stuff out with other kids so i guess my question is as a parent who is sincere you know wants to make sure they're not overdoing it but also wants to listen and trust their instincts Mm -hmm. do you have any I don't know tips or thoughts. How do we maybe sift through when we need to rep- respond to something and when we don't need to?
1: So, I would say that just having been doing this for a while, the parenting, Um I'm just going to be bold. It is okay to be a snowballing parent. Is it is okay to overparent? It is okay to make all these mistakes as long as you're adjusting. Um, I just feel like, cause I remember reading that um, lawnmower parent and I remember a pang of guilt. Oh, okay, that's me. And then realizing, yeah, but I can change. I can mm-hmm. adjust I this. Um, instead of like, I messed up, see? Now my kids are like this because I've done it. What am I going to do now? It is okay to have done that because I did it out of love and I wanted to do what I thought was right. And that's what I ended up doing. And maybe it comes from my, you know, like my own insecurities, but I did it. And I decided that is okay. My kids are safe. They're so, and I decided to forgive myself, and that's when changes came. Um, so, as long as there's no extreme bad things as parents, all this stuff, as long as you do that and then try to change it, forgive yourself, give yourself, say, okay, I, I, I can't do this. This makes sense to me. I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to try then I think that is okay. And in terms of, I think all changes all always happen. Do you know that song by Whitney Houston? It's not right, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not right, but it is okay. And you can improve, you can move on, you can heal from this. So if you feel like you've been overdoing it, underdoing it, whatever, as a parent, it's not right, but it's okay. You, you can move on from this. So that involves acceptance and forgiving yourself. And that's the only step, next step. You have to do that to be able to change and improve. And that's also the message you wanna give your kids. Okay, you failed your test or you didn't make the varsity team. Um, it's okay. Like, what do we do now? It is okay. And in terms of that, I actually read, I, I read that um, email that you sent. And so in terms of anxiety, my understanding was that much of that is genetics, much of that is biology now i do that does make sense to me that this overparenting because you know like when i was growing up i just walked to my friend's house right i just came for dinner now i did not grow up in the u.s this is a huge country i could not i mean my friends have friends like three miles away they're not going to walk not my friends my kids have friends that are three miles away. they're not right. going to walk so there's that so we got to gra- give grace to that too you know i I I grew up in a small town. I walked everywhere. Um, So you can see how you go outside and you can be more anxious if you've been driven all the time. But I also want to say much of anxiety, and I don't know what kind of anxiety they're talking about, whether it's uh, social anxiety, panic disorder, that is also biological. So There's, you know, simply they talk about nature nurture. And I think parents need to make sure that they don't put the nurture part being 90%, nature being 10%. Sometimes Mm, stuff happens. Sometimes, you know, one quarter of American population have a mental health issue. It sometimes it just happens. And it just becomes, okay, what do we do? as opposed to why did i do this i should have let her do that this is all my fault which is we don't want our kids to do that so we can't do that either so it's not right i mean it's not wrong right but you know it's it is okay yeah if you did that if you overparented if you did that it's not right but it's okay so let yourself move on and forgive yourself you can talk to your kids about that too there's always way to heal from that and uh, change the course of the trajectory. It's not too late. And so if you hear about all those things in terms of anxiety is it from parenting, it could be, but it could also just be biological, hereditary, you know, just, and there's the guilt too. Like, you know, if the the parent has some kind of an anxiety issue and the kid has it, it's so easy for the parents to say, I gave it to the kid, it's my fault. You know, but you know what? You can't control you you passing down the color of your eyes to your kids, and of course, it's not the same thing. But you you have to forgive yourself. You have to know there's hope and renewal and healing, whatever you want to call it. You can change course. Um, so don't overestimate the nurturing part of an equation. Um, yeah, because so that's you know-
0: interesting. I've noticed with my own kids i I ascribe all of their wonderful traits to um, nature or themselves. and if there's ever any quirks or, or right mistakes, right. I'm like, oh, that's my fault. So I always. I don't grade on a very fair scale with myself and my own mm-hmm. parenting. Yeah. I have it backwards. I, I probably at least need to treat them as as equal, but I don't. I, I heavily yeah. yeah. So but what I'm hearing, I love this because I'm hearing we do need to be self-aware. Like we need to be we need to understand when we have mm-hmm. made a mistake. So it's it's important to be honest with ourselves. And then it's important. To move on from it. And I love that it yeah. just frees up so much energy if we cannot be worrying about the oh, I should have, shouldn't have. Oh goodness, how we um I, I love the it's not all right, but it's okay. I think I'm gonna like stamp that on my hand. Um, my boss talks about how sometimes children do things that are developmentally inappropriate, and what he means by that is it's a very normal behavior for a certain age. That doesn't make it right or okay. And we need to help them move away from it and learn, but it it also, we have to understand it's, it's um, not growing out of some malevolent, malicious Mm -hmm. uh, well of evil inside them. So we need to do that with, for our parenting too. That's, I love that.
1: And like I said before, that's the only way that you can actually adjust the course. If you beat yourself up all the time and blame yourself, it, it, it's, that's a hindrance to you changing that um and it's like example where a kid has a quotation mark bad teacher and let's say they um it i think most of the times that's just a fit right like maybe the teaching style of a teacher doesn't fit the kid or you know Whatever it is, and you don't want the teacher saying, "Well, it's all my fault. I can't keep my class in control." You don't want the kid saying, "I'm just getting, you know, called on uh, called out all the time because I'm a bad kid." You, you just um, you just need to be able to see things in a way. Okay, I don't like this, but it's okay, and I can handle this. So, somewhat of a not not even positive, not negative, just kind of neutral way to move forward. Um, I think that's really important to do with your kids. Um, And also that involves though, don't panic. Uh, It's so easy to say, hard to do, but you can, um, if you make mistakes, it doesn't mean your kids are messed up, gonna be messed up. They themselves have their own lives with their interaction with their extended family, with their teachers and friends, they learn things too. They have side things going on. It's not all just you and your, your child's relationship that's going to determine their life. Um, and you can also mend things when they're in college, when they have their own kids. Um, so there's hope and you don't have to beat yourself all the time.
0: Well, and you you mentioned this earlier, but I, I think I love this idea you're articulating even when we make mistakes, if we will use it, um, that can not only become not damaging, it can even become good if yeah. we let our kids see by the way we handle it, how you work through a mistake, how you, exactly. how you try yeah. to make amends, how you try to own it. And, and really, in a way, that mistake can not only not hurt them, it could even be helpful to them and um, kind of healing yeah. for the relationship as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I actually think that our children are maybe more forgiving us of our mistakes than we are of our own mistakes. Um, Because I think, and you know more, I I was an adult psychiatrist and a child psychiatrist, but I think they just kind of move on. Um, I feel they have particularly when they're younger, more of the ability to be mindful. you know, They play with the sand and they're able to forget about everything else. So I think that, and you hear so many examples of parents going, I'm so sorry, I did this. And kids coming back and goes, no, mommy, it's okay. Like I, you were a good mom. You are a good mom. And I think kids move on um, easier and are able to let go of things and forgive the parents perhaps easier than parents can of themselves
0: i believe that's true and this i don't have clinical data for this but my observation is that kids actually may value apologies and even need them more than adults need apologies from other adults and i think that has to do with the power disparity um, but that once that apology has been given, they are enormously fast at accepting yeah. the apology and moving on. So it's like adults maybe don't need the formal apology as much, but we also yeah. don't forgive as, as easily and readily. And I feel like when kids have that um, apology, they actually move on. What what I think they're really, they don't like is any, anytime they sense um, falseness or, mm hip they were very tolerant of all kinds of things but they cannot handle folk uh fakes mm-hmm. or frauds yeah. or phonies that that yeah. just something about that triggers something in them so yeah. yeah i think you're right on with that
1: maybe it makes them um like i said before like they they want the sense of i can go into the world and know that i have people who support me and love me no matter who i am and maybe if you, if they sense that, you know, what you just referred to as, you know, maybe it's, this is a little fake. Maybe it's actually them thinking, maybe I'm not lovable. Maybe I did, maybe I'm not lovable if I, just as I am. Maybe that makes him think nervous and anxious and worried or doubt their future. that there's not that reassurance that I can always come back. They do love me. I am lovable. Yeah. Um, maybe that sense is shaken and that's why they don't like that.
0: I think you're right with that. I also think that, um, because again, they live in a world where everyone around them is dominant, their teacher, their parent, like they, they're just kind of Mm -hmm. go from being controlled by one adult to the other. Um, I think they're highly attuned to that but i also think they develop a pretty sensitive barometer um, they have pretty clear sense of right and wrong anyway i feel like most most kids do and mm-hmm. anytime they feel that they're being treated unfairly um, that's when they really get their hackles up Um, yeah. i mean that's one of the biggest complaints you'll hear from kids it's not fair that's not fair um, yeah. and sometimes they say that when it it they mean i don't like that but a lot of times I feel like if if you can create a sense where they at least perceive a degree of fairness in your process they're far more likely to respond to that as well. Yeah. Um, and I agree with what you say about feeling lovable like the 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 message has to never be that, that the child is the problem or that they're somehow
1: mm-hmm.
0: bad or undeserving and not that any of us would say that but I think we communicate that sometimes inadvertently.
1: Yeah. And I think some kids will just push it, right? Can you even this? can you love me yeah. um and you know not everything is okay so i I talk to my kids about the posted method, which is you you balance a post top- on top of your fingertip, and everything on top of that is fine, but certain things are not because mm. that's gonna make you fall off and like if you drink and drive that is not okay under any circumstance right. but if you get a c it's not right but it's okay so you, and and that's different for every family right like there's the border where certain families it's okay it's not but i think they're very i think there are a lot more things that are okay than that's going to make you fall off that post-it note yeah. you really don't want that right. um but most things within the post-it note are okay and i think if a kid is as long as they're pushing you to that boundary then you have to still say okay like i gotta forgive and we gotta talk um as opposed to oh my gosh look at this i i shouldn't have done it this is my fault what's wrong with my kid you know that kind of thing
0: i really love that idea of the post-it note it's a really quick and I think this could be valuable for parents and thinking what do I need to respond to and what can I let go Mm -hmm. um is this going to likely to to knock the post-it note off I really like that a lot
1: yeah um yeah so there's a lot like (laughs) these are some of the things that occurred to my head that's been helpful because um I just feel like parenting is you know not it it doesn't always happen when you're relaxed and calm. It often the challenge comes when you're not not relaxed and calm. Right. And just having these tidbits, I guess, or things to have in my mind does help. Does that mean I don't make mistakes? No. I always, I make a lot of mistakes, but um, yeah they're but the
0: powerful thing about what you're describing is that's fine like this yeah. sort yeah. of approach says okay you make mistakes great yeah. fine yeah. Now just move on which is yeah. what we tell our kids to do um yeah. and so i think you know that's something we can model for them better yeah,
1: you're absolutely.
0: making me think of the old the famous quote from uh, tolstoy's anna karenina where he says um, all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in their own way. something to that effect. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I love what yeah. you're describing because you're saying even happy families are are different. Um, yeah. And there's a there is a way of parenting that will fit your your personality and your family and your values and your situation. And whatever helps you do that is going to be useful. and what doesn't, you don't you don't need to worry about it. And if yeah. you make a mistake, you just keep going. You try to be honest with yourself and receptive to new information. Yeah. Um, so that's I'll kind of the other bookend of the when you asked about kind of my discovery about teaching, um, what really helped me was there was another teacher mm-hmm. that I just adored. And she was what I wanted to be. And I know this is where I actually did start using some techniques. I studied her, like I literally would study her um what she did. And I started practicing trying to do that. And it turned out that those techniques enabled me to kind of tap what I think my my potential, my strengths were. Yeah. And so I think there is power in having some of those techniques and ideas. Nice. But again, it has to be they have to be uh, comport with who you really are and what your strengths and personality and and things like that are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I read books and articles too. Um, I think what I want to um, implement in my life and what I think is helpful is being in a mindset where information and books are secondary that me as a person um, being willing to learn, make mistakes, um, forgive myself. I think that you need to be there first or at the same time as you consume that information. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the place where you can really parent in a way that fits the kid um yeah and then that's that's the only way where you know you don't feel overwhelmed by the information because you have that base and a mindset that i can do this and let's see if i can get some more information to help be helpful to me as opposed to that information being a gold standard that you judge yourself against
0: so maybe some of us need to spend more time um trying to think about who we are deep down, fundamentally, yeah. um, who, you know, when we are at our best, most authentic self, who are we?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, how do we want to be um, in realistic ways, not just kind of trying to suddenly become a, an image and starting with that, as opposed to just turning to the the book or the article or the podcast um, or, or the the expert quote unquote, start with ourselves and and do some work there first. And then the other stuff can help. It can maybe refine and validate and give us new ideas and things like that.
1: Yeah, they're absolutely helpful. Um, And, you know, what I talk about is in terms of, if you want to know what your hangups are, just notice your interaction with your kids and you say something and they something or they don't say something and your response is, because I say so. Or as long as you live under my roof, look back at what that topic was and that's probably going to be your hang-up.
0: Interesting, um, interesting.
1: Because if you can't give your kid, you know, if your kids say, why can't I feed that crocodile with my bare hands? You can say, because it, it's an animal and it's going to bite your hand and you don't want that. But if a kid says, why do I have to get an A? And they say... Eh, because I say so, or why do I have to do this? And all you can come up with, because I say so, or because as long as you live under my roof, you do that. That is something you're going to have to work through because if you can come up with a logical reason why he or sh- your kid has to do that, then that's your hang up.
0: Interesting. So if you resort to it, if we're just resorting to authority and right. sort of the the brute force power of parenthood, And I imagine there's always going to be things that maybe we can't explain at first, but that with a little thought we can. Like It's okay if you don't have an eloquent answer for everything, but if you can't really sit down and give it. I, I love that, actually. See, these are great. These are wonderful ways of just, I don't know, sifting through lots of feelings and thoughts and worries and things. And I just I love your approach. It's just like a very rational, calm series of I don't know, sieves or something that helps strain out the unhelpful, um, unnecessary, uh, extreme and and helps us just to quietly and thoughtfully and methodically figure out who we are as a parent and and then grow with that in mind. I just I think your approach is beautiful.
1: Yeah. Um I don't do it perfectly, but I
0: but do you have but to you say. don't have to because of your approach. That's the beauty. Right.
1: <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. it doesn't require
0: perfection or even, you know, getting it uh, right all the time. It's just, you just own it and move on. I I really love that.
1: One thing I wonder is I wonder if prior generations, like my grandma's generation or even before I don't know if they thought about themselves as parents this much.
0: I don't, I, I think, I mean, I don't know, but I think they did just from, I guess, reading, like some uh biographies that or personal histories that my grandparents and great grandparents wrote about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um so maybe it's just me, but I I'm struck by the fact that I think maybe because living was just so much more demanding then. Like yeah. even, you know, my grandparents, the World War II generation even, um, just the daily requirements of having yeah. food on the table and um yeah clean laundry. I mean, it was, I think it was a pretty full-time job. And so I think that right. parenting was sort of not unimportant, but it, it maybe didn't hit the hierarchy of needs right away. I, what do you right. think?
1: I agree. As soon as I said, my grandma, I mean, she went to through two wars right. and maybe more, a better example with me will be my mom, but I think you're right. You know? Um Yeah you know it is important parenting but when you have survival or you know go through wars then i think you just show your kids how you live and they they learn that that um you know you can go through difficulties you got to survive and you do what you need to to come out of that
0: you know and i also think that whether this is good or bad, I don't know. But um, it's not only a, it's part of it is it's about immediate survival. But, you know, my grandmother lived through the depression. She um, lost a brother, a, a very beloved brother on right, uh, right. the invasion to, in Normandy on D-Day. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my my grandpa was a Wonder Bread delivery man for 30 years. They survived, but they didn't have a lot of money. You know, they were fine. But um, mm-hmm. I also think sometimes if she could hear some of the things I worry about or that my kids are worried about, mm. she would maybe just say, honestly, that's not going to matter. Like it, yeah. you are yeah. really worked up about something. She was a farm girl, so she would have said it with much more colorful language, which is one thing mm. I love about her, but just like this really isn't important. And mm. perhaps that's the the blessing as well as the challenge of being a parent in a more a fluent time when we have a little more luxury, I guess, is that we have more time to worry about being a parent, but we also probably get pulled into worrying about stuff that just really doesn't matter all that much, I suppose.
1: And as you say that, it occurred to me, um, something I realized raising my kids and talking about it, I read about it, which confirmed that families need to have fun like families need fun if kids don't get fun in the family they're gonna seek it somewhere else because every human being has an innate desire for fun and i'm not just talking about dopamine but just this sense of fun enjoyment that's a pre-requirement to be a healthy human being and i think many families think of them their roles as being the motivator or giving the kids the opportunity but actually it needs to also be a sense of fun to for them when they have the choice to come back to the family or not, for them to come back and have a relationship with you. I think that sense of fun is really important. So maybe sometimes more important than like what you said about these things that you would tell your grandma, what about this, what about that? Um, maybe sense of fun is even more important than those things. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. Well, listeners, you can tell, I think, why I really wanted to get Mina on the podcast today. She has a wealth of um, professional knowledge, but she's thought deeply about this in a very practical way. And again, for those who are interested, she is starting a uh, an executive family coaching business, and you can find more about her services at familyatthetop.com um, Mina, thank you for your time. I should also say Mina was very patient because we had a couple scheduling glitches and, um, the beginning of the school year is just crazy for me. So she was very patient with long, long response times to her emails when she would just reply to mine. So she was actually very generous and gracious to come today.
1: Well, you are really generous with me too. Remember that you were my very first recording and I lost the file. <laughs> oh, I, oh, that's right. It got... I, It just disappeared. I don't know what I did. I don't, I didn't erase it on purpose, but I think maybe I met like mishandled the little disc and you were so kind to do it again. And so, I mean, you're so generous and I hope, you know I I think most people around you know that, but thank you. yeah. So I want to thank you first.
0: Well, uh, it's great to talk with you. Please give my love to the family. I will. Um, It's great to see you again. And listeners, thank you for being here. Um, We took a little bit of a hiatus as I had some work projects and some family things. It's great to be back and I'll be posting on the regular cadence again. Um, If I could ask, of course, always do this. Please take a moment and go rate this podcast at whatever platform uh, you listen to, whatever platform you get the podcast through. That is a huge help in getting the word out. Thank you so much for your time. As always, I wish you happy parenting. You've definitely got this.